Well, if you have your Bibles, uh, would you turn to Matthew chapter 5? Matthew chapter 5, uh, verses 31 and 32. We are uh, journeying, endeavoring, adventuring through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And here in Matthew 5, uh, we are seeing what Jesus is doing in addressing um, the hearts and the minds of his listeners, where basically one thing that he's telling them is, is what you think you know about following me, what you think you know about serving God, is not necessarily as simple as you think it is, or not necessarily as easy as you think it is. And perhaps the righteousness that you think that you have because you do these outward acts of obedience you're not as righteous as you think you are. And so Jesus is really colliding with the power and the thrust of God himself. He is colliding with hearts. And his word now meets us where we are. So let's pray and ask particularly God's hand upon us as we look at this passage. And then uh, we will dive right in. Lord God, we pray now that you would open our minds Humble our hearts under your word. We ask, Lord, as we look at a topic like divorce, as Jesus addresses it, Lord, we pray that you would humble us under your word. Give us hope through Christ who addresses our hearts. And Lord, meet us where we need to be met. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So we are in Matthew 5, verses 31 and 32. But before we look here, I want us to think back maybe to something else that some of you have read. It is a book that was released in the early to mid-90s by an author named John Gray. And that book is Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. I personally never read it, uh, or have never read it. Um, but if I understand correctly from our good friends at Google... Uh, it basically, one of the central arguments of the book is that though men and women might come together in a marriage, they might have some of the same life experiences, they might have some of the same uh, life backgrounds, but that does not necessarily mean that communication and understanding between the two genders, between the two sexes, will be easy. In fact, it is quite difficult. Many times it is quite difficult. You would think about it if, if you, many of us marry somebody who speaks the same language that we do. We marry somebody who um, uh, comes from the same regional or cultural background, somebody who's similar age, somebody who uh, perhaps uh, is a similar, um, uh, eth- uh, sometimes similar ethnic group, but I was thinking sometimes similar uh, economic backgrounds. And, and so there's a lot of reasons why you would think with so many similarities that marriage uh, and understanding one another ought to be easy. But it's not. And one question, though everything about communicating and understanding one another uh, ought to be fairly simple at the most basic foundational level, one question reveals that it is far from that simple. And it is a question that is asked in many marriages many times. How do I look in this? How do I look in this? 
Amanda and I have a rule in our marriage that if one of us has to ask the other, hey, how does this outfit look? Don't even ask. Just don't go there. Change the outfit if you need to. We're not going to put one another in that boat. So Jesus speaks on divorce. And as we think, might think that men are from Mars, women are from Venus, sometimes when you look at God's word, when you look at the Bible, do you ever think, I am here on earth and God might as well be on Mars or God might as well be on Venus? Because sometimes some of the things that he says are so outrageous, are so out of left field, are so out of step with our day and age and what my sensibilities say ought to be that I don't know what to make of it. That might be what you think as we read from Matthew chapter 5 this morning. In fact, follow along as I read Matthew 5, verses 31 and 32. Jesus said, it was also said, Whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now this is God's word to us. But this is God's word that we must, as we look at all passages in Scripture, we must carefully look at because sometimes there's more to it than meets the eye. And that's what we're going to do this morning. What I'm going to argue for you from this passage is is the following. And listen to this very carefully. When selfishly pursued, divorce dishonors God and it sets ourselves and our spouses and even others up to sin. Let me say that again. When selfishly pursued, divorce dishonors God and it sets ourselves and even our spouse that we are divorcing and even others outside of myself and my spouse, it sets them up possibly to sin. Now here's how I'm going to argue this. I'm going, we're going to look at what we think sometimes about divorce, but where we get it wrong. And then, how we can, when we get divorce wrong, how this does wrong to others. So how we get divorce wrong, and then how this does wrong to others. But I want to pause before we dive in here, because I want to give about, I don't know, uh, in, real, in reality, two or three caveats, but in my mind it feels like, like eight, nine, ten caveats, okay? Because sensitive subject here, okay? The first I want to give is that when you're developing an understanding of how the Bible speaks to a, a, perhaps a controversial subject in Scripture, it is wise to try to consult the whole, the, the whole body of God's Word as it speaks to that. And so this is not the only place that divorce is addressed in the Bible. This is not even the only place that divorce is addressed in Matthew's Gospel. Jesus later addresses it and spends a little more time on it in Matthew chapter 19, verses 1 to 12. And then you have the Apostle Paul who addresses it uh, in a few different places, addresses marriage, and, and then specifically addresses divorce in 1 Corinthians 7. And then you search back, and Jesus is quoting from Moses here, back in Deuteronomy 24. And in Deuteronomy 24, Moses is quoting from God himself back in the earliest pages of Genesis. So the, the wisdom that I want to try to offer here, the, the perspective I want us to try to look from here, 
is not to try to build a whole theology of divorce based right here on this passage. We don't want to rob this passage of its power, but we also don't want to uh, focus too much on it without bringing into our understanding of it other passages as well if we're going to try to develop some well-rounded convictions about divorce or some biblically informed convictions about divorce. The second caveat is that I know that I imagine all of us in some way, shape, or form, or in many ways, shapes, or forms, have personally been impacted by divorce. Whether you come from a childhood where your parents were divorced, or whether you now are divorced, or whether you are even sitting here this morning and contemplating divorce. And then I want us to be careful. That's the second one there. So I want us to recognize that there's some emotional weight to this. And then I want us to lastly, I want us to be careful in how we approach this or how we seek to understand this because sometimes if we get too narrow of a focus on what we think the Bible is saying on a subject, we can, we can lose sensitivity and sensibility as to how the Bible speaks more fully about it when the whole of Scripture is understood. And so here's what I mean particularly. Some might read a passage such as we're going to see this morning and reach the conclusion that there is no ground for divorce except in the case of sexual immorality. And so that would mean like a spouse should stay in their marriage if they're being abused or if they're being mistreated or harmed. And I want to assure you that God's word does not say that. It doesn't say it here, but it says it elsewhere about how God's word speaks to such egregious sinful actions in a marriage and how he gives room for that marriage to be broken. So I want us to approach this cautiously. I want us to approach it clearly and I want us to approach it confidently though that God's word does have good for us as we look at what Christ himself says about marriage. So the first thing we're going to consider as we look at this is how we can be in danger of getting divorce wrong in how we understand it. So look at Jesus' words in verse 31. If you don't have your Bible or if you don't have a Bible uh, open before you or on an app on your smartphone or uh, hopefully you have it in the bulletin, these words are printed in your bulletin, some way, shape, or form, uh, try to open it up to be able to look at it. Jesus says, it was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. And so when Jesus says it was also said, once again, he, as he's done in two previous sections, a section on anger and then a section right before this on lust, what he's doing is he's seeking to expose or to highlight where his audience, who thinks that they know and are serving God righteously because of their actions, where they're actually wrong in how they understand and relate to God and how they think God understands and relates to them. And so one thing that they were doing is they were, frankly, they were misinterpreting, misapplying, even abusing Scripture that was given to them. They were abusing it for their own shameful purposes. And so when Jesus says it was also said, he's referencing yet again a place they're getting it wrong. He says it was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. So this is quoting from back in Deuteronomy 24. And in Deuteronomy 24, Moses, um, uh, uh, speaking on behalf of the Lord, 
uh, instructs or gives the people of Israel the right to divorce, um, and, and particularly the right to give a certificate of divorce so that the divorce can be formalized. And that was given in, in the purpose of protecting um, women at the time who, who uh, could be mistreated or who could be taken advantage of or could be left financially destitute um, if, if they were divorced or if they were abandoned by their husband. And so Moses says, Moses sees how the people of Israel are abusing uh, marriage and their understanding of how God brings people together. And so this is essentially a safety net, not, not, a, not, a, um, not an endorsement, but a concession on the part of God that sinful human beings are, 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 are finding themselves in broken marriages. And so as to protect those who are, who, who are victimized in this, we will give certificates of divorce uh, in order to protect them, in order to in some ways insulate them from further harm. However, nowadays, in Jesus' day, those who were, there, there were some who, um, they, they were viewing this as license to divorce in ever, whatever scenario or whatever circumstances that they found themselves in. So, for instance, and I'm not exaggerating at all, there was a school of thought that was common in Jesus' day, even amongst the religious crowd that he was addressing, there was a school of thought that somebody, that a man could divorce his wife for whatever reason he felt like. If she burnt breakfast that morning, he could say, this isn't up to my standards, we're done. If he just found another woman that he would rather be married to, he could say, hey, I found someone else. It was a good run, let's call it quits. And Jesus sees this and he says, this is not the purpose for which Moses gave you uh, the ability to give certificates of divorce. You are totally misunderstanding that. And so what he's showing is how they get divorce wrong in thinking it gives them license when this is not the case at all. See, marriage is a commitment. It is a covenant that God brings together between a man and a woman. And Jesus, quoting this, says, you're wrong in how you understand it. Now, one thing that Jesus exposes here, this is for any of us that are married, for any of us that are not married, for all of us who sit before God's word. One thing that he exposes here is the danger of our hearts to try to distort God's word or try to distort that which we believe God permits for our own selfish purposes. And so that's why the, the thing I'm arguing for you that I mentioned at the beginning of the sermon was that, that when selfishly pursued, divorce brings harm. Divorce produces sin against God. And so what we see as we look at this is that there were those who were selfishly abusing their understanding of God's word in order to get out of their marriage. you ever find yourself looking at the Bible or looking at God's word and saying, ah, I'd really like an avenue to be able to do this or be able to get out of this responsibility? You might say, no, I don't think I do that, but we all do. How many times do we tell ourselves things like, well, you know, God wants me to be happy, so I'm going to do this. I'm sure God's word speaks against this, but God wants me to be happy. God understands the hardships, the trials, the difficulties that I am walking through right now. Therefore, he, this is permissible. 
You know, a good test, as you read the Bible this week or as you read the Bible uh, uh, in times we get into God's word on Sunday mornings, whenever you get into God's word, ask yourself one question. Am I trying to read God's word for what it can do for me? Or am I allowing God's word to read me and do with me whatever it pleases? Am I the authority over God's word or is God's word the authority over me? That is the issue that, mo- that Jesus is addressing here. He's saying you are taking and abusing the laws of God because you believe yourself an authority over them. And in this, you are actually harming the spouse that you are divorcing and even others. So that's where we get divorce wrong. But now let's go see at the harm that that causes. So Jesus says, verse 32, But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. There's one thing I want us to note here, okay? Well, there's many things I want us to note, but one thing I want us to note at this point of this time making our way through this passage. Jesus is addressing here, it seems he's addressing the the men of the audience that he is speaking to, right? Do you catch that? Whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. Verse 32, whoever divorces his wife makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman, he commits adultery. Jesus is addressing an audience, particularly of males here. This doesn't mean that women are out from under the authority of Christ on this subject. But here's what it does mean. And this is where it's so important that that we carefully, diligently, slowly read God's word as we seek to understand it. In all facets, but particularly on subjects as, as meaningful as marriage and divorce. Here's what we have to do. Sometimes we open God's word and we say, okay, what does this say? Like we open it up like it's 1,500 pages of rules or 1,500 pages of regulations and and we go look at it like we would go look at zoning regulations at Situate Town Hall. But that's not the manner by which we are supposed to understand it or the manner by which we are supposed to approach it. There are places in the Bible where God does give laws, where God does give instructions, but we have to understand the fuller context of what specific passages are saying, of what specific passages are getting at. So here's what I mean as we look at this. Jesus, speaking to a male audience here, he's saying to them, you are abusing marriage, or you are abusing divorce, and in your abuses of divorce, you are causing harm towards others. And so we've got to be contextually very careful to seek to understand what he's getting at. In one sense, he's saying divorce is bad. In one, he's saying, in one sense, he's saying divorce is not something to be pursued. But in another sense, he is saying you have to be very careful about how you approach God's word. About what you make of it. About how you sit under it. About the claims that it makes over you. Because here's what's going on as he's addressing the males in this audience who are abusing divorce. See, in Jesus' day and age, we talked about this a little last week as we looked at lust and adultery. In Jesus' day and age, women, wives, were largely seen as essentially property. They were the property of their husbands. They were limited in their rights, 
they were limited in that which they were, uh, were free or, or lawfully enabled to do. Limited in the independence they could have. This is why, th- this is something that Moses addressed way back in Deuteronomy when talking about the certificates of divorce. But here's what Jesus is getting at. He's telling these men who are using, uh, who, who are divorcing their wives for any reason, he's saying to them, do you realize that when you divorce your wife, you are bringing harm upon her because she is going to be in a position where she is financially needy Therefore, she's going to have to go marry someone else or she's going to have to resort to even more seedy methods to make income in order to have her needs met. Jesus is in one sense here saying, do not seek divorce for unbiblical reasons. He's very much saying that. But in another sense, he is saying, be very careful about how your justifications of what you think God's word permits and enables you to do, be very careful about how those negatively impact others. So he says everyone who divorces his wife except on the ground of sexual immorality makes her commit adultery. That's what he's saying there. Do you catch that now as we look at it closely? And then he's saying, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery as well. Jesus was addressing a culture, a practice, an understanding of marriage and divorce that made this coming together, this covenant between man and woman that that robbed it of its power that robbed it, robbed, it, robbed it of its emphasis and of its importance and of what it meant, what it visualized, and how God even uses it in the lives of his people. You know, it's funny. Throughout the Bible, through, throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's language that speaks of, in, in throughout the Old Testament, the people of Israel, and then even in the New Testament, the church is described as, as the bride of Christ. The Old Testament speaks of language, speaks language, speaking of people of Israel as if they are a spouse to God. And not a spouse in a sense that we are spouses or we have husbands and wives, but in a sense that we are covenanted together. That there is a mutual care, a mutual responsibility towards one another. And so one thing that Jesus is holding up here as he repeatedly mentions sexual immorality or committing adultery or committing adultery is that he is saying, men, in pursuing this, you're causing your wife to sin and you are dishonoring God by breaking a covenant that is supposed to symbolize the relationship between God and the people of God. So how do we approach this? Well, as I've said previously, we get very careful about the licenses we take with God's word. We get very careful to think, how do the decisions that I make 
influence my brothers or sisters in the faith? How do they influence my spouse? How do they influence my own children? How do I snap out of an individualized mindset that thinks my faith is me and God and that alone and start to see that I am responsible for those whom the Lord has brought into my life? Their trust in God, their growth in His Word is in some ways connected to the environment that I foster for their growth. Think about how that influences you as a parent. Think about how that influences relationships that you have with friends. And the friends that you walk alongside of in, in life, do you, do you seek to encourage and to spur them on to trust the Lord even when situations are hard? Do you seek to be an encouraging Christ-like presence in their life? Seeking to, to, to hold them up before the Lord in prayer and seeking to hold the Lord up before them? when their hearts are weary, when their hearts are wavering, seeking to share with them, oh, may I walk alongside of you as, as you try to trust God as you walk through this difficult circumstance. Think about how you walk alongside of other couples, perhaps other couples in the church. One thing that we see in this passage, and one thing that, as I talked about with men are from Mars, women are from Venus, is that marriage is difficult. Brothers and sisters, may we seek to foster a perspective and an attitude in our church family that seeks to walk alongside of one another so as that our marriages can point to the goodness of God and the faithfulness of Christ our Redeemer. May this spur an attitude of openness with one another. A couple who perhaps is walking through a hard time being willing to go to a single friend or another couple and say, hey, can you pray for me? Can you pray for us? Forget men are from Mars, women are from Venus. We don't feel like we're in the same solar system right now. What we see... So we see the danger of abusing God's word, of neglecting the significance of that which he sets before us, and subsequently enabling harm in the life of others who profess to be followers of Christ. A few more points of application. If you're younger or not, and you're single and, and, and you desire marriage, one thing that you can see, one thing that you can learn is that you don't start getting ready to be married when you get engaged or when you start dating somebody or seeing somebody. Marriage is simply one aspect of our growth as followers of Christ. So the best way you can prepare for that day is seeking to grow in godliness today. Seeking to foster in yourself a heart, by God's grace and his work in you, a heart that will seek the good of others around you and not your own selfishness and your own personal gain, which was totally opposite of what Jesus is addressing here. Those who viewed marriage as something that was disposable and only for their own gain 
and he says you have marriage all or you have marriage and divorce all wrong and the last thing that we can do as we consider how divorce wrongly applied wrongly understood reveals the wrong state of our heart as we can look to our Lord Jesus Christ who is the groom to his bride the church and he promises that he will never leave nor forsake her and so as life is hard here as we live in worlds that are rocked by all sorts of relational strife and discord and falling out we can know as the church of Christ that our King Jesus Christ is faithfully working in the midst of His people and that He will not divorce us. He is preparing us to be brought into His presence to enjoy Him forever. And so the Lord Jesus, who urges those who would profess to follow God, as he encourages them towards faithfulness to their spouse. He does not just encourage us with his words, he encourages it with his actions. And he encourages you and I, even today, that the Lord Jesus who died for our sins and who gives us new life in him promises that no matter what may come, he will never serve us with that certificate of divorce. My prayer is that perhaps some of you who, this is an interesting topic, and you think, wow, what a Sunday that I showed up at church. My prayer is that on such a strange Sunday with such a strange passage, you would see a strange Lord who speaks directly to your heart. He is not a God who gives pithy instructions or hallmark quotations and says, go about your business. He is a God who speaks to our hearts and speaks to the innermost desires and longings of our souls and calls us to live in Him. To find life in Him that we might spiritually live. My friends, our Lord Jesus gives us hard sayings. But he gives us hard sayings because he is a gentle Lord who has endured the hardness of the judgment that rested on you and I for our sins. Behind those hard sayings is a tender, merciful Lord. One thing as we've walked through anger and lust and divorce now, we have to remember back before that the start of the Sermon on the Mount. Where we say, well, I am divorced. What does that mean for me? Or I've been divorced. Or I've, I, I've, I've, as we looked last week, I, I forget adultery, I, I, I deal with lust. Or forget lust, I've committed adultery. Or before that, where Jesus says, if you have anger in your heart, that's as bad as murder. You say, okay, well, yeah, that's me. These words, Jesus was seeking in his audience, not a, a radical reorientation of their behavior. Yes, he was, but that was not foundational what he was seeking in them. Foundational, what he was seeking in them at the root level was an awareness in their hearts of their great need for him. An awareness in their hearts 
that looked to him for mercy. An awareness in their hearts that saw that he was not just refining the things that they wanted to be cleaned up, but he was refining everything and making all things about our hearts new. So if God's word, as we've walked through these things these last few weeks, and as we're going to continue to make our way through in the rest of chapter 5, if God's word convicts you, that is not telling you that you don't belong. That is not telling you that you don't measure up. In fact, going back to the Beatitudes, Christ says, blessed is the one who is poor in spirit. If God's word convicts you, whether it be because of your own marital background, your own infidelity, your own whatever, if God's word convicts you as you look at this, Jesus isn't saying to you, you don't belong in my club. He's saying to you, as you are aware of your need for my mercy, now you understand what it means to come to me. Don't allow such hard teachings of our Lord to close the door for you. Allow them to open your heart to your need for him and to the mercy that is waiting on you as you come to him. Let's pray. Lord God, this is a hard subject. And pray you would give marriages here, perhaps that are in hard seasons, give them resolve to continue forward. Supposed to be a means of ministering the hope of the gospel in the marriage. Lord, as, as we look at this subject, there's, there's some perhaps who this is, this is hard to digest as to how the Lord Jesus would make such claims. But help them to see that as they feel that Christ is far away, that perhaps He is on Mars and, 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 and our hearts are on Venus, help them to see that, no, that's exactly where we're supposed to be. We're supposed to encounter Christ. And when we are struck by our great need for Him, when we are struck by the, the truths that He teaches and how we don't fit the bill, help us to then be liberated by the truth that Christ has accomplished our work of redemption. So may He be all that we have. May He be all that we cling to. May He be our all-encompassing, all-consuming hope. Lord, give us hearts that are not grounded in selfish use of your word for our own purposes, but are grounded in supreme trust in you and reliance upon you in all things. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.